Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives. This is our Week in Crime edition. I'm Paul Healy, crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror, and today I'm joined by crime editor of both papers, Michael O'Toole. The revelation that Gardaí have now asked the DPP to charge the leadership of the Kinahan cartel leads our topic of discussion today, but later we'll also be talking about the latest on the efforts to stamp out Dublin crime and how senior guard and management came out in force this week to show that they're in control of the situation and to dispel what they've termed as misinformation. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Michael O'Toole. Welcome back to the pod, Mick. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been another week talking about crime in Dublin, but we'll move on to to, uh, that in a bit. Um, We want to talk about maybe the more exciting crime news that broke today um, and we have been doing a bit of digging since. To be fair, I want to just credit the Irish Times with the interview with the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. And in the, cor- in the course of that interview, uh, Conor Lally, um, the paper's crime correspondent, raised the spectre of the Kinnahans and uh, some interesting comments were made by the Commissioner Uh, which indicates that a file has gone to the Director of Public Prosecutions um, on the matter. So that raised our eyebrows this morning, didn't it? Yeah, can I just say, uh, I get really, really thick when other papers get interviews. You've probably borne the brunt of my ranting today, but it really winds me up. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, Maybe we're not a a paper for uh, interviews, who knows? Um, Yeah, so this... uh, my, My... belief would be that the strongest candidate for prosecution in this investigation is Daniel Kinnan himself. I don't necessarily think that Gardy have enough on Christy Kinnan or or, or Christopher Jr. So I think, and I'd like to know what you think about this, I'd be pretty confident that what the commissioner really was talking about was the leadership tier of the Kinnan cartel. And for me, that's Daniel Kinahan. So there has been an investigation on for quite some time. And you and I were both doing digging about this. And I think we're both pretty happy that the file is effectively about Daniel. And they're asking him to be charged with a certain effect. Yes. To be fair uh, to yourself, you, you've already reported previously um, that the guards were investigating Daniel specifically in relation to and we've spoken about it on this pod, in relation to a murder attempt on James Mago Gately, a Hutch associate there in 2018. And our listeners may remember, uh, this was one of the more um, colourful, for lack of a better term, uh, murder attempts in that the Kinnahans hired a rather strange-looking and acting character by the name of Imre Arrakis, a Lithuanian hitman, fairly infamous figure in Eastern Europe, Uh, to carry out this deed and what was interesting about this was that he was being directed by the Kinnahans to carry out this attempt on James Michael Gately and the guards were well on top of him and surveilling his every movement and in the course of that investigation uh, they when they caught him in the act so to speak I'm going to ask you to speak about this a bit more because it's a great story Uh, the encrypted message on his phone was something that's now led back to Daniel Kinahan. But yeah, to, just, just describe that scene for us as, as the guards broke into the gaff and caught him, in, caught him, so to speak. Right, but first things first, I think he's from Estonia. 
Estonia, sorry, yeah, he's been he's been extradited to Lithuania, sorry, yes. Yes, and and it was 2017, so there were two attempts on Michael Gately in 2017. One actually happened, that was at uh, near Dublin Airport, at a garage there near Dublin Airport. Um, so anyway, this was a, a conspiracy to murder Michael Gately. He was actually up in, up in, up in, in Belfast, but Imre Arrakis arrived in in Dublin. Doc B and the NSU and ERU, all the other alphabet soups were on him. They were following him around Dublin. They, they were aware he was here. He went to a place in Sheepmore, uh, a house in Sheepmore in Blanchetown in West Dublin. And all the guards went in and there was one Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau detective. I've spoken about this, I think, a few weeks ago, but he showed remarkable uh, quick thinking. Essentially, Arrakis had one of those EncroChat burner phones and you can set it, that you can press an emergency button and it auto-deletes. And he did. But before that could happen, the Doc B detective whipped out his own phone and took a screen grab, a picture of what was on the screen. And that was the message. The guards alleged that the message was from Daniel Kennehan, his persona or his name, username on EncroChat or whatever it was. And it was basically kill Michael Gately. So they took a photograph of that and that's evidence. Now, remember, we spoke about this before that EncroChat in Ireland has been used as intelligence. In England, up under Operation Venetic, it's been used as evidence. But there's a difference between intelligence and a photograph of a ordering someone to kill somebody, which is in, in evidence which can be used. So that investigation has been going on for some time. But our understanding is there has been a separate investigation run by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation, the top investigators, uh, into Daniel Kinnan allegedly running the Kinnan crime gang, which everybody says has been said at the thing. So this is what the investigation is about and this is what the file is about. Yeah, I just want to say we're breaking news here on the pod. Yeah, but uh, we'll have a report on this today um, and in tomorrow's papers. Yeah, which is, you know, when we did the bit of, I just want to give people context, we did a bit of digging up on the back of the Irish Times report, which says that the Kinahan cartel leadership, they want to charge. And you have that information about that NBCI investigation. Um, I, I think this is, the, this is the new, as we were talking about the Arrakis investigation, but this is the, the really interesting new thing that we didn't know about, which is this charge of directing a crime gang. So directing a crime, directing a crime gang, just tell us a bit about that charge. So that was brought in under the 2008 Criminal Justice Act. It's very, very rarely used. There is a, a, a parallel for directing a terrorist group. And Michael McEvitt, the former, the one of the founders of the Real RA, was convicted under that. I think he got 20 years. So you can get up to life. It's, it isn't used that uh, often. There's been a couple of, uh, I think a couple of people in Galway. Uh, so I think you could count on the, on the fingers of one hand the number of people who have been charged with directing a crime gang. It's very, very rarely used, but it's very, very serious. So it's, it can mean up to life. Say, you know, the conspiracy charge that they wanted about Michael Gately, that's 10 years. So you can see the difference. So if they if they get Ginnahan for the conspiracy 10 years, it'll serve seven or whatever. If he gets life, different, totally different ballgame. And it shows you the, the seriousness of the investigation that has been underway into him. So look, essentially what has happened is the way it works, investigators send a file to the Director of Public Prosecutions. In that file, the way it usually works, very rarely it doesn't happen, but nine times out of ten it does, the the senior officer, the superintendent of the unit or the district officer, say the local superintendent, will send a file, investigation file to the Director of Public Prosecutions and there will be a recommendation, we call it a request. So it would be, you know, we recommend having looked at the evidence that the DPP charges X with running a crime gang. So that's what has happened here. 
So it wouldn't have been, here's your file director, you make your decision. It's here's your file director. This is what we think we can sustain or can be sustained. But it's up to the, the DPP. She's the, the law officer. So, but it is quite strong that they've, that they've done that. So files, depending on their technicality, it could be anywhere between three months and nine months. Uh, just the vibes would be, I think they would ex- be expecting a decision quite soon, you know, weeks months rather than over a year that sort of thing but then look we obviously face the difficulty of where he is yeah so i mean the, the dpp how long like could a decision really take i mean we're talking we know that this file has been with dpp already for a number of months and and that's that's the real question now if they come back and direct the charge obviously if you think about the trial of jerry hutch who was who went on trial for the murder of david burton but was acquitted we know that there was a very long process the dpp consented to him being charged then the guards went and got what is called a European arrest warrant because they knew he was outside the jurisdiction that was sent over to Spain and they got him eventually and then they brought him back he was acquitted no problem the same thing will have to happen in this case but there's a complicating factor Daniel Kenahan is not in the European Union so the EAW applies to the European Union and several other countries but it definitely doesn't apply to Dubai or wherever he is in the Middle East and we know that there's no extradition treaty between Ireland and let's say Dubai, it probably is in Dubai. Okay, so uh, how will that work? The guards or the Irish diplomats or the Irish government will have to ask the Dubai government to kick him out. Now, that may or may not happen. But we did know that it did happen in relation to a man called Raffaele Imperiale, who was one of Daniel Kinnan's sidekicks, one of his partners in this mega super cartel, they called it, with, you know, Taggy and a couple of others. And he was kicked out from Dubai and he's in custody in uh, Italy. He's turned a pentito, he's turned a, what we would call a tout. And he will probably give evidence against Daniel Kinnan, I would say. He'll do it to lots of people. So, but the process, it will be much harder because he's in Dubai or the Middle East. So this could be quite a long time. But what I will say, I think the process here, the file and the, the, the examination by the DPP, we're talking weeks and months rather than months and probably a year. Do you know what I mean? I know it's a complex trap case. Who knows what the evidence is? But the process has started. The DPP is examining it. So, you know, it, it could happen quite soon. There could be a decision by the DPP to direct a charge very, very soon. Could happen tomorrow. I don't think it'll be a year or two before it happens. Possible, but I think that's very unlikely. So wheels of justice do move slowly, but they are moving. Yeah, and I mean, you certainly get the indication from the, the Garda Commissioner that the wheels are moving. The fact that he's he's made the statement that he's made on the record uh, shows a degree of confidence um, uh, that, that they... And, and, and the fact that the file has gone to the DPP means the guards, from the Garda perspective, they have the evidence to charge uh, Daniel Kinahan with this directing a crime gang charge. Um, it's interesting just to note that that is also... Uh, the exact charge that they are investigating Jerry Hutch over. Now, the difference there is that that is an investigation that hasn't gone anywhere near a file going to the DPP. So in this case, they appear to be confident that Dan- that they can charge Daniel Kinahan with that. Yes. So just to explain, because we, we, I know you did a story, I did a story maybe a month ago about the, the Jerry Hutch investigation. So there's an investigation phase and then there's the sort of putting the file together and collating and putting everything together and there's a, a person called it used to be a book man it can be a book woman an incident room coordinator who specializes in putting everything together and writing files so they're in that phase but that means putting amassing all the evidence all the everything they have but the investigation phase over jerry hutch is done they're now in the second phase but they're obviously finished the second phase with daniel kinahan 
So the file's gone. And that is, it's a very big thing. And look, I can really, reading the runes, I don't think Drew Harris was a very experienced police officer. I don't think he would have said what he said were he not to have a certain level of confidence because he'd be making a fool of himself if, you know. So I think he believes, I think it's fair to say he believes there's enough evidence to sustain a prosecution. And that's significant. Yeah, it is. But the question is, will it get to that point? I mean, we, we've often talked on this part about the DEA investigation and the Americans and the ultimate, and me, even the commissioner himself has said that it would be likely that the Kinahans would be uh, in a in a court in a foreign jurisdiction. He's actually earlier this year he said that. Uh, all of a sudden now, he said it in uh, he said it in Dublin Airport. Yeah. I asked him it just uh, it was at, and he last said it at year, the GRA it this year was the as launch. Well. Yeah, yeah. So it was at the launch of Dublin Airport Police Garda Station. That was a few weeks after the mega press conference, and we were there and we were asking. And he said, you know, it, it could be abroad. And he, he basically he said, as long as we get him. But that was just interesting that he seems to have changed his tune a wee bit and it's now, and I think that's because the file is in Ireland and the DPP are here. So has he been given, an, does he believe from his discussions? Because look, what usually happens is the DPP will be in consultation with Senior Guardi about files rather than looking at this. They may go back and forth and say, I want to ask X, I want to ask Y. Maybe the feedback has led him to believe that they're veering towards charge. You, you know what I mean? So that's really significant. I certainly hope so. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time now. Um, the the other thing about this is is uh, this will end up before the special criminal court, obviously. Um, so you'd want to hope that there's a degree of confidence there with the guards, because obviously the last major figure that they've tried before the special criminal court it didn't work out so well. Um, but this charge, this directing a crime gang charge, it's it's a much more of a catch all type charge, isn't it? Like, I mean, they're investigating Jerry Hutch for that. It's very different to charging someone with, with murder, where you're, where we know what happened in the in the case with Hutch. He wasn't actually; they didn't have the evidence that he fired the gun, but yet that was what they were charging with. But this is a much broader scope, doesn't it? This particular it is broader, but it isn't is interesting that it can carry up to life. So it's very very serious. So that may now the judge might. I'm only I'm going fourteen steps ahead. Just say the judge goes, yeah, you know. We have, after everything, the three of us have decided that, yes, he did direct this crime gang. They might sentence him to 12 years, 15 years, 20 years. rather So a so-called determinate sentence rather than life. But yes, look, there are still hurdles to get over. And you, we saw with Miss Justice Tara, Tara Burns how forensic she was. Now, she's one of the presiding judges. The other one is Tony Hunt, who is also a very forensic judge. So, you know, the guards and the prosecutors will have to have their stuff in, in a row. Mm. But I wonder, is this a, a, a kind of a new tactic maybe by the guards in that, like, look, let's get them on the charge. We know we can get them on, you know, um, I'm being highly speculative here. I don't have any inside knowledge, but I mean, um, certainly we have written, it's been published that these murders, we're talking about the attempt on uh, Michael Gately, were directed by Daniel Kinahan. Um, so you'd wonder why not seek a murder charge? Now, maybe that in the end of the day might happen, but I, I'm, I'm just curious as to maybe in light of things that have happened, are they saying, let's get them on this uh, this this charge, which is better than conspiracy to murder because of the life uh, aspect to it? You know, I'm just curious as to whether there's a new tactic. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, well, that's a very good point. Um, and this is just, I know you're asking off the top of your head and this is just me answering off the top Pure of your head. Speculative, so, yeah. Well, yeah, let's say educated guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
you know, we do know that the, he's been investigated in relation to the murder of Jerry Hutch's brother, Eddie Nettie Hutch, which was on the Monday after the Regency, so the 8th of February uh, 2016. I don't think any file has gone to him, to the DPP in relation to that. So that would tell me that by its very nature, they have to have more evidence in relation to this. And maybe, you know, say for murder, you need, and um, Miss Justice Tara Burns really showed that, you need hard proof about murder. With this, it could be a bit more sort of nebulous and, and maybe circumstantial evidence and putting a thread together of various bits of evidence that will persuade the judges of this. Do you know what I mean? So it might be a wee bit... There, obviously, there's not enough evidence in relation to the Eddie Hutch murder. Michael Gately, we don't know where that's going, but this is just... Maybe this just there's more that they have more. Yeah, well, I'm just curious what criteria they would need to prove that you've directed a crime gang. Like, do they need touts? Do they nearly need somebody to say, you know, Daniel Kinnahan ordered me to do this or Daniel Kinnahan was my boss? Or, I mean, obviously that would be ideal, but let's say they don't have that and it's unlikely that they do. Uh, You know, what evidence would you need to prove that someone ran a crime gang? Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm curious about about that. And I'm going to speak indirectly. I would say they would need phone evidence. They would need intercepts. I mean, we know that the guards have used bugging equipment. Remember the lads who were trying to kill Patsy Hutch, another brother of Jerry? There was direct evidence there. So, look, we don't know what they have, but you would anticipate that there would have to be something in writing or there would have to be phone evidence, bugging of him talking and other evidence to back that up. You know what I mean? It, it can't just be, well, we think it's him because that won't get past any judge. So there has to be something, a smoking gun of some sort. God, I just hope that, that if it does get to the stage where he where he's actually died, I hope there is a smoking gun. Yes, I hope we're not five years from now talking about uh, a, a a failed prosecution. Uh, let's hope not. Can you imagine what the trial would be like? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! OMG, as the young ones say. Well, again, you know, someone like Daniel Kinnan, I'm sure his def- he he's going to be arguing. How can I ever have a fair trial? Uh, you know, that'll be interesting. Ah, uh, uh, no, no, that won't fly, Paul. We've it, well, spoken it's about been, this before. It's been, well, I was just going to say, and that's why I'm bringing it up, because it's been proven in the Special Criminal Court with Jerry Hutch and with other trials that that, that doesn't come into play and that the judges cannot be influenced, um, you know. But he's he's going to play that card, though. He's going to play Oh, that. let him at it. Look, Mr. Justice Tony Hunt, the other presiding judge in that there are two Special Criminal Court groupings, shall we say, he said, we can't be influenced or we can't be prejudiced or whatever, so not a chance.com. But look, of course they'll try. I mean, you know, he has I, to. I think the first, the, the significant move that showed that there was something happening here, if you go back a couple of months to the, the, the formal announcement that they were placing a superintendent permanently in the United Arab Emirates, um, I, I thought that to me was a significant step. I thought it was also an acknowledgement of sorts that the Guinans, even if they've left the area, that their operations are there, that there's a huge amount of scope to investigate their activities there. Uh, I mean, we can see it with the, the, the businesses that Christy Kinahan Sr. ran, the aviation business, etc., uh, from the heart of, of Dubai. So clearly there's there's ground for them to mine there. And I thought the fact that that was acknowledged on the record with with everything that we now know today shows there there's obviously been huge progress made and cooperation there. There must be. Yes, and another significant factor, I think it was last year as well, I think it was just after the sanctions were imposed, the UAE appointed 
effectively an ambassador to Europol. Do you remember that? Mm, yes. And Europe, Ireland is part of Europol and Europol can carry out investigations. So it's got more teeth than Interpol. And there's a senior, I don't know, is it a police officer, but a senior UAE official is there. So that will obviously grease the wheels. So we have a detective superintendent over in Dubai and we have this fella uh, in The Hague, the head of the Europol. So it will be one of those things where we wake up one day and we go, suddenly everything becomes clear. And look, remember how many times Justin Kelly, the assistant commissioner in charge of serious and organised crime, how many times has he been over in America? So, you know, he's not going over there for a suntan. So, you know, and Joey Harris has gone over <laughs> and various other people are going over. You know what I mean? So something's at as work. I, some things at work and we'll, we'll, we'll only find out when it happens. Yeah, and just to explain to people that as of the recording of this pod, because they might have uh, read reports and thought that there are charges being sought in relation to Christy Sr. and Christy Jr. We don't know uh, is the answer to that, but we know for certain uh, that charges are being sought in relation to Daniel. And in fairness, it was Daniel all along. Daniel took over the operation from his father, I'm going to say 2015? Um, I would say, yeah, so Gary Hutch was murdered in September 2015 so probably before that and we all know look I've always said this if Christy Senior had been in charge around that time would the feud have happened so mm, um, no, it's very interesting yeah I wonder well the Americans were the first ones to bring up Christy Senior in a long long time uh, to be fair we kind of thought he departed the scene. They named him in their sanctions uh, at, as being at the leadership of the cartel. I suppose he's the man with the that gave his sons the money. Um, so whether there's an investigation there into where all the money came from, but certainly in terms of the feud and the operations of of the of the gang over the past number of years, it's been Daniel that was at the steering wheel. But they all yeah, and you know, let's go back to what you and Mick O'Neill and I did. They also gave an address for Christy Kinahan that you and I and Mick visited. And I think we can say with some certainty it had nothing to do with him. Remember that poor wee lawyer? These three agents from Ireland's taking him out for a week, taking out his house and he opens up, brings us in and he shows us his lovely house, which has nothing to do with anybody. So they named that address for Kinahan. So, you know, I don't, by the way, I don't think, I think the focus is, Daniel, I don't think files have gone in relation to Christy and Christopher Jr. at all. There's no indication of that. No. We've, we would have heard of that. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, been yeah, that, yeah. No indication of that. Well, look, it's a fascinating story. It's always fascinating to talk about. So we'll we'll keep on it and we'll have more reporting on it tomorrow. Uh, we'll move on to the never-ending story that is crime in Dublin. Um, but what's interesting, this week, I'm going to call it a bit of a PR campaign of sorts, was launched pretty much from early in the week right through to yesterday when the Assistant Commissioner of the DMR region, Angela Willis, um, spoke to us after a high-profile meeting with 180 business leaders across Dublin. Um, it wasn't press released, but we were kind of briefed, you know, she might talk to us afterwards, and so, uh, you know, it was set up to talk to her afterwards. I, I, I'll be fair to the guards here. It's fantastic that they're speaking to us and that they are coming out front and centre and they are giving comments on the record about this uh, crisis, I would call it. But on another end, I just want to say there's a very carefully managed PR campaign happening here and I'm very sceptical of it, is all I want to say about that. I'm sceptical of it. Let's be fair to her. I thought Commissioner Willis, I thought she spoke very well. 
She did, and I'm not. No hiding. This this is no slight. To no, her, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, but but to a degree, the powers that be are trying to to uh, manage the narrative here. Let's be fair. Um, for 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 good reasons and for other reasons, perhaps just. So there, you and I disagree on what we're going to talk about, right? Which is nice because it's nice to have. Which it is out. always good fun. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Obviously, there was the whole news agenda was about uh, armed guardy uh, taking on young fellas running out of Centre and Temple Bar with a, a breakfast roll and saying, "Put the breakfast roll down with their MP7s up against their heads." Right. I think. Uh, that was mostly the fault of the media. I'm going to say 80-20. you disagree? I don't necessarily disagree with you in that, how would I say, some reporting gave the initial impression. I would more so say in terms of headlines that armed Gardaí would be taking to the streets of Dublin. Uh, but that was on the basis of a Garda press release which I want to get up on my phone here just to be able to... <laughs> right. You, while you're doing that, I'm going to rant for a second. It didn't give the impression. They said it, right? Now, I think that was a feeling, right? I think, I, you know, to be fair to us, well, we're going to blow our own trumpet. You and I knew what the crack was. And I think our coverage, we focused on the what they call the public order, you know, what you and I would call the rat squad. Well, I think we yeah. focused on that. Yeah, we did. To be fair, right? And And I think most people who would have read that press release, in my opinion, would have looked at the, the wording of that press release and it was not about the ASU, the Armed Support Unit, patrolling uh, Temple Bar. It was, uh, that was, it was, because, you know, in the same sentence, it talks about, if, if you have it there, the, the Air Support Unit, they're not going to be flying over Temple Bar every two minutes, right? So, you know, if you take it in that context, so people saw the Armed Support Line 20 powers down in the par- in the store. Yeah, it was, was a little it? bit down. Uh, it wasn't the, just, just, to, just to, because we're getting into technicalities here that maybe the listeners don't necessarily fully care about. So just to explain that uh, a press release was released by the guards um, two days ago where they outlined what they were going to be doing with some of the 10 million euro funding that's been given to them by the Department of Justice. This 10 million euro funding was announced after the attack on Stephen Termini, the US tourist there in Talbot Street. And the funding is to give Garda overtime and to be able to give them the the opportunities to have the resources around the city to tackle the crime in the city. And this press release, what what I thought was interesting and what you thought was interesting is that uh, 2 million euro of that 10 million is going to be used to deploy the public order unit, the national public order unit onto the streets of Dublin on a permanent basis, um, which currently they, they, they couldn't do. Um, that's more boots on the ground. It's a more visibility they're going to have. Uh, the press release says many... Uh, things in it about a, an, an enhanced visibility on the streets but i want to read out the sentence that we're giving out about uh there will also be an enhanced visible guard of presence at strategic locations in dublin city center such as the thoroughfares and the liffey boardwalk the plan will see increased deployment of the guard and national public order unit in the city center with 20 percent of the 10 million in overtime being dedicated sorry yes the next sentence as well as uniformed guardy specialist units such as the Air Support Unit, the Garda Mounted Unit, Dog Unit, Regional Arms Response Unit, and Road Policing Units will be deployed to enhance Garda visibility in the city centre. Right, that that sentence says, as part of this plan, the Garda Armed Regional Armed Unit will be deployed 
as part of this plan increase visibility so 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 to, to just give the balance argument technically speaking they said we're deploying armed units as part of this effort to crack down on the, the safety in the city yes however you and i as crime cars yeah we know they're not walking and all the streets no no yeah just hear me out people don't you you see you, you know you can spot the armed support unit can't you in their cars. cars yeah <laughs> they don't get out of them because they're, yeah. they're no because they're yes, red yes the red, they've got the red livery, right? So think about this for a minute, right? I heard people who should know better talking about armed guardy at every corner. It's nonsensical, right? It's never happened in the worst of the troubles. It didn't happen in the worst of the feud, right? It's going to happen against some young fella acting the bollocks in Temple Bar. Come on now. Now, so what that'll be, and here's another, here's a very good reason, right? Why would you bring a Garda with an MP7 machine pistol on it? I think it's a Glock or a SIG. Sig, right, uh, handgun, right, into somewhere where you could be faced with 10 tw- or 15 y- young fellas off their heads or drunk or whatever. Do you not think there's a possibility they might take the gun off them? I spoke to you about this earlier. I know lots of detectives who are, who are armed and say when they're called to a domestic, they will purposefully take their gun, their pistol and leave it in their car because the worst thing that can happen is they bring a gun into a situation, a volatile situation like that and what could happen somebody could jump you and try and take your gun. It makes absolutely no sense. Now, the only thing I think will, will happen with the ERU, and this is just a scenario, is if some fella has a knife or a bottle and is brandishing it at people and the, the regular, as we would call them, normal guards say, right, we need to escalate this and the, ERU, uh, the ASU come along. That's the only reason. But otherwise, they'll be driving around in their lovely BMWs and Audis and that's it. Yeah, well... The, they will not be patrolling. You and I understand that, and we did reflect that in our reporting. But I would say that um, it's just the way it was worded in the press release, and then the way it was reported, and then the public perception and the furore that happened. I mean, you had TDs coming out and saying this is a disgrace, armed guardian in the streets. It the, the the misinformation began with the press release, and it was spread then by some media outlets and social media in particular, and then the public perception, and uh, I. Just let me be fair. Let me let let me give the full balance because I'm not. You might think that I'm taking a particular position that I'm not. Uh, to be fair to the assistant commissioners who came out and said um, that look, it's not as if, as you said, it's not as if Gardia are going to be walking down the streets, guns in hand. That's not happening. Um, but she 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 said the word misinformation, and said that there'd been misinformation put out there. In my opinion, at that stage. It was there in the press release that as part of this plan, the armed units were were part of it. And so I think that that perception started with that release. And I, and, and that's where I got frustrated because I, was, I, I felt like they were throwing everything into that release because they have to be seen. We're doing something. So we're throwing the armed support unit, the air unit, the guard unit, the, every unit. We're, we're, we're all over it because they're trying to fairly, I understand why. Paint the narrative that we're on top of this, lads, and we have everything at it. We're throwing the kitchen sink at it. But I think it was poorly worded. That's all I'd say. Yes. What, no, I would agree with that. And what do I always say to you, Healy, uh, the great Cormac Burke, used to be my news editor, is now editor of the Indo, always speaks about journalists need two things, contacts, so in other words, people to tell us things, and context, to contextualise things, right? You and I contextualised that, that, that email. That's why I said to you at the very start of this conversation, I blame the media eighty percent. Obviously, uh, it was it was uh, naive at best by the guards to mention that, right? 
But I just think the re- and the reaction of social media and the reaction of politicians. But but even still, the further twist in that was that that, that there actually was some truth to an increase in armed units in the city, but that wasn't clear. Like, even the assistant commissioner said, um, nothing has changed. The armed units have been patrolling the streets of Dublin since 2016, you know, with the feud. Um, But going and seeking further clarification, because I said this is just causing complete confusion, um, the Garda press office actually said, yes, no, there, there will be an increase in an armed presence in Dublin as part of this Operation Citizen plan. So, yes, there will be more armed guardy around. Yeah, but there, but in their this cars. is the but. <laughs> exactly, Mundo. Like, what do you, what, you know, so, and by the way, uh, you know, I think, but Jesus, the politicians, my God almighty, people talk about journalists sensationalizing things. Hello? Anybody stand back and go, all right, big lad, what's going on here? Look, this is just my opinion, but um, that, look, you know, 80-20, and for me, I don't think the fourth estate we did ourselves any favors, except us. We were great. The star and the mirror were great, but no. Uh, fair enough. And and the other th- the other thing that frustrated me about just covering this, uh, was is some of the language that's being used by I would say senior Garda management and politicians who are in power, which is they say there is a perception out there of unsafety in Dublin. Therefore, we need to address it. Right. Um. To be fair to the assistant commissioner, uh, Angela Willis, she said, if there's a perception of a problem, then there's a problem and we're going to do our best to address it. And she said, we're going to win back that feeling of safety in the city. Um, They don't want to say there is, they don't want to say the city's unsafe, but they want to say there's a feeling. We, we, want, we want to police the streets more because people feel unsafe. And I'm just, I hate the way that they phrased it. I just think it's like, we don't want to say there's a problem, but all of our actions and this press release and the big event that they had yesterday clearly acknowledges that there is a problem. So come out in plain English and just say it for what it is. And the government allocating 10 million for overtime for the DMR, Dolan Metropolitan Region, indicates that there is a problem. Now, actually, just with interest in relation to overtime, this is something very important. I was contacted, I've been contacted by a couple of uh, guards. Um, everybody thinks right you know <laughs> Cardi speak to you or do they value yourself um, <laughs> uh, everybody thinks you know 10 million extra guards in the beat that extra guards will come from serving guards right so it means basically somebody who's doing a four four day tour four day things will have to be five for the overtime and I remember speaking to one sergeant who said look and this is backed up by somebody else who contacted me recently he said look most guards don't do overtime the, the sergeant said he thinks around 10% of guards will do overtime. Because you think about it, right? You've done your four days and you're getting grief and you're doing files and everything. Then you do another day. That means more grief and more files. It means more money. But, you know, can you imagine like in our job, we have to work extra days and we get days off and do everything. That won't be like that for them. But can you imagine, you know, we've done our, say, our long week. And then you have to work, say, the Sunday when you've worked the previous Sunday and you're bollocks and you're, oh, jeez. You know, everybody's human. We get tired. Guards get tired. So... I was, and, it, and I was speaking to some of them and they said, it just means more files, it means more grief, it means more paperwork, it means more everything. So, you know, throwing money at things, you need more guards because if you have more guards in the streets, it's because the serving, the current amount of guards are doing overtime and are doing extras on their days off. Yeah, uh, you've raised just something I, I wanted to, um, this is in the public domain, so I think it's okay for me to read this out. So forgive me to this uh 
this particular member of Angarda Shikana or alleged member of Angarda Shikana, but they tweeted this. So I, I want to read it out. The, oh, the is this guard. the oh the guard on Twitter? Well, oh, I, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this paints uh, the difference in the the spin and the narrative, and then what the actual guards on the ground feel about the situation. Now, you mentioned how like a lot of them won't be able to take up the overtime, but. Can I read this out? I just I think it's great. Uh, yeah, can I, just before we do, can I just make one very quick point? We did a story a couple of weeks ago. It was the All Ireland final and the day on the weekend when Celtic were playing at a at the Aviva Stadium, a preseason friendly, right? And to indicate the problems with overtime, they sent an email to guards in Waterford to say, "Will you be interested in doing <laughs> overtime at Croke Park and the Aviva?" And you know what? That was a big story for us. But I know that's happened to guards in Galway. It's happening to guards all over. They've been asked to come to the, what we call the DMR. So that's an indication you can't get guards in Dublin doing the overtime. Well, that shows you the reality of the situation. Well, this is the local Garda on Twitter uh, who proclaims himself to be a member of Angarda Shiakana, albeit anonymously. Uh, and we certainly believe that it is. Um, but anyway, do you know what gets my gander up? Gardy photographed in uniform being made to look like we're totally okay with how things are at present. It's a choice, I get it. However, our standing in society is diminished. As a result of the image being portrayed, we were always approachable, helping, kind, yet firm, decisive, and not afraid to react to acts of adversity on the street. The image that our press office is giving via social media outlets has us characterized as soft, almost pushover type of professional workers. Do we see nurses, teachers, or other professions doing dances on the street or allowing their students or patients wear parts of their uniform? It's cringe. The Garda should hold an element of fear. That's now diluted and the press office are making the public are making sure the public are fooled into thinking everything's okay. It's far from okay. It's terrible. <laughs> so that's that's the view of Agarda on Twitter. Yeah, to be fair to the press office, and it's not our job to be press office for the press office, and we have lovely rows with the press office. They're gonna put their best their job is to protect the brand and to promote the brand of Angarda Shikana. So they're hardly gonna sit there and go, What's that phrase? Lads, they're gonna hardly gonna issue a press release going, lads, the job's fucked. So, you know, they have to put their best foot forward, and I have no problem with that. No, me not. That local guard, he said no, he or she, you know, doing a linguistic analysis. They definitely speak like a guard, I'll put it that way. They do. Uh, and look, and that's their view. Uh, we're not saying how we feel on this, on on anybody's viewpoint. That's this particular person's view. But I just thought it was interesting because it's got a lot of attention there on social media. But it shows you also the disparity of the feeling among some members and what's being put out there by and obviously the Garda press office as you said and Garda management are going to put their best foot forward and you know this press release was extraordinary in my opinion I have never seen anything like it in the last and I'm not working as long as you are Mick but in the last eight years nobody in is. the last eight years working in the world of tabloid and crime journalism I've not seen um such an effort uh, a coordinated effort to show you know, we're on top of this, lads. We're going to get the city safe. We're we're doing this, that, and the other. It, I thought it was an extraordinary campaign, p- public awareness campaign. I have not seen anything like it. Have you? Uh, yes, I have. So that's why I probably looked at it through different eyes. Um, guards will do this. And that's an indication of how big the, pro- the, the problem they view is. Guards will do this. They've done it a few times, say, after a high-profile gun murder. Say one of remember the lady Babasilite was killed by Marla Highlands gang in December two thousand and six and so on, and that created huge public interest. And guards will do this. I, I can't blame them at all. 
because they are trying, as I say, to put their best foot forward and they're trying to reassure the people and get the message out. So it's not an everyday occurrence, but when it hits the fan, the guards will issue lengthy statements like that to tr- just try and reassure people that they're, they're on top of things. I tell you, it's just that there's different narratives coming out. Like even in the interview with Drew Harris there in the Irish Times, he's saying Dublin is safer than other cities and violence in the city is not increasing. I don't know how that helps within the narrative that's put out the same day by Angela Willis and the press release that they put out, which shows that, which is an acknowledgement of a problem. And then you have the, the, the top boss saying there isn't really a problem. If Dublin is so safe, why are they having to do this? It's great that they're doing it. I'm not knocking it. Thank thank God they're putting the resources into it. It's clearly acknowledgement of it. But I'm just saying the spin is what annoys me of everything's okay and Dublin is safe. There's clear it's clearly not. There's clearly a problem. So let's just call it for what it is. But are the guards gonna say, lads, okay, we've lost control of Dublin? I don't think they are, in fairness. Okay, well, I'm not expecting them to say that, but just, you know, clearly there's a safety problem in Dublin and we're, we're doing our best to address it. Not, not you know, people feel unsafe. It's like, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> anyway, I don't... I, I, I spoke about this on a pod a few, few weeks ago. Remember I went to the, the Joint Policing Committee of Dublin City Council? Angie Willis, Angela Willis was speaking at it and the politicians were there. That's, I mean, you know, politicians, I, we can all hammer them. I thought they were quite sophisticated. But, and they had a sophisticated approach. In other words, they were saying, and I agree with this and I've said this, it's not really a Garda problem. Garda are the stick and plaster. You have to stop it. You know, it's it's elsewhere. The real root answer is, but that's, you know. Um, but just a number of politicians who said in it, I feel safe in Dublin, but I understand that people don't. So in other words, they all think I'm, I'm grand, but yeah, but other people do. It's annoying, that narrative. But anyway, um, Probably given too much of my opinion here, but it's just it's been a frustr it's been a frustrating week. Um, it's great to see that the guards are on top of it, and it's great to see that the government in particular is providing the funding. Uh, to be fair, the guards were limited in terms of funding and, and overtime and that. So it'll be interesting to see the take up of that now. But provided it all goes to plan, uh, then there should be a, a stark decrease. I'll just I I will to be fair mention the statistics again that crime or assaults in the city are actually down uh, on last year by 73. Still 2,300-odd assaults in public places. Um, and the Garda Commissioner was quick to point out those figures that that's the, the that assaults in public places are actually down. Um, but th- it's been pointed out to us numerous times, and it was pointed out even by the business owners who met with the senior Garda there during the week, that many of these crimes are not reported. Uh, people are getting mugged and beaten up and they're not going to the guards about it. They feel that they're not going to get it dealt with. So there's a lot of people uh, finding themselves in situations that aren't actually reported to the guards. So that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't help the statistics uh, narrative at all. And can I just just ask you one question about that story you had? Uh, that's for the whole DMR, isn't it, for assaults? Yes. Okay, so let's go back to what we had a few weeks ago. Do you remember we ran the, the statistics because they're talking about crime in the city centre. Now, the DMR stretches from Balbriggan to Clondalkin and Neilstown and down just to north of Bray. It's a big area, everywhere in between. But so if you remember, listeners may remember, we got, I worked out statistics for assaults and public order for Store Street and Pier Street, which are the, the C district and B district. They're the two real city centre districts. So just to go over them again, in in 2022 in Pier Street, so Temple Bar, 
there were 825 assault offences. In 2021, there were 433. So Store Street, which is Talbot Street around that area, there were in 2021, there were 534. And in 2022, there were 609. So let's see what it's like for the whole year. You know, you can make any statistics you want. And obviously, you know, that's it's, it's, it's important for the whole DMR. But let's have a look at each division by the end of the year and see that. But that is a, especially Temple Bar, area covered by Temple Bar, Pier Street, that's a significant jump from 2021 to 2022, almost double. So let's, you know, that, I just want to point that out. Yeah, and I, so I just want to point out that I'm not blaming uh, the guards in any way here or trying to say that they are the cause of, of the problem. There's a problem in Dublin. Everybody acknowledges that from the businesses that work there to the people that come in and out of the city to the guards themselves. And they're all trying their best to solve the problem what i'm giving out about is the pr and the spin and the the kind of acknowledgement that there's a problem but also a denial that there's a problem at the same time that's all i'm talking about yeah and the more i do this the more i realize and i've started saying this you know it's a societal issue and i'll just give you one example the number of mental health incidents that guardy are called to now practically every unit every day goes to at least one maybe two three four five and i notice in england some police forces have said they're going to stop responding to most mental health cases. But that doesn't happen here. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. The guards, they're social workers, they're mental health nurses, they're, you know, security guards, they clean, protect the streets. They do a massive job. And in many cases, like, for example, say in Temple Bar, there's a crowd of 12 or 13, 15-year-olds. What are they doing there at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night? Who's at home? Do, do you know what I mean? The guards don't take the kids out of the houses and say, right, come on down to Temple Bar and act them up it. So, you know. Well, that's not a policing problem then. There's a societal problem there. That's my yeah. point that the guards, as ever, they get the kickings and metaphorical and physical and they are the sticking plasters in so many aspects of society. Mm-hmm. And that has to be addressed. 100% because, and, and there's no point in like going and having this big drive now and then six months down the line, um, it's all back to the same again, you know, it, and it's, it was acknowledged there at that meeting um, that this is much more than just a policing problem, that they're going to have to come together, these businesses, the council um, and society at large to discuss, you know, how to solve this problem beyond just uh, police uh, walking up and down the streets. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a bigger problem, one that is really a political problem that the government at last are acknowledging with this funding. So we'll see what happens. Okay, and can you, if the last I've I've been off for a while. I've been working on a. I've had a been off from Holliers, and I've been working on a, a a project that you know about. It's going to come to fruition next week. There's going to be a lot of oh, a lot great. of talking about it. You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've been working on that sort of project. But at the last time I was on, we did mention uh, I, I want to do a part about talking to killers. So just about how you and I have react interacted with people who have taken other people's lives. So we're going to be doing the the week in crime next week, but maybe over the next couple of weeks, sometimes we'll we'll sit down and we'll talk about our interactions with others. I think that would be really interesting, Paul. We will. Yeah, look forward to that. Thanks, Mick. Talk to you again. Okay, thanks as ever, Paul.